0: chapter one part one of smoke blue this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. smoke blue by jack london the taste of the meat in the beginning he was christopher Blue. by the time he was at college he had become chris blue later in the bohemian crowd of san francisco he was called kit bellew and in the end he was known by no other name than smoke bellew and this history of the evolution of his name is the history of his evolution nor would it have happened had he not had a fond mother and an iron uncle and had he not received a letter from Gillet bellamy i have just seen a copy of the billow gillet wrote from paris of course o'hara will succeed with it but he's missing some tricks here followed details in the improvement of the budding society weekly go down and see him let him think they're your own suggestions don't let him know they're from me if you do he'll make me paris correspondent which i can't afford because i'm getting real money for my stuff from the big magazines above all don't forget to make him fire that dove who's doing the musical and art criticism another thing san francisco has always had a literature of her own but she hasn't any now tell him to kick around and get some gink to turn out a live serial and to put into it the real romance and glamour and colour of san francisco and down to the office of the billow went kit bellew faithfully to instruct o'hara listened o'hara debated o'hara agreed o'hara fired the dub who wrote criticisms further o'hara had a way with him the very way that was feared by gillet in distant paris when o'hara wanted anything no friend could deny him he was sweetly and compellingly irresistible before kip blue could escape from the office he had become an associate editor had agreed to write weekly columns of criticism till some decent pen was found and had pledged himself to write a weekly instalment of ten thousand words on the san francisco serial and all this without pay the billow wasn't paying yet o'hara explained and just as convincingly had he exposited that there was only one man in san francisco capable of writing the serial and that man kit bellew oh lord i'm the gink kid had grown to himself afterward on the narrow stairway and thereat had begun his servitude to o'hara and the insatiable columns of the billow week after week he held down an office chair stood off creditors wrangled with printers and turned out twenty-five thousand words of all sorts nor did his labors lighten the billow was ambitious and went in for illustration the processes were expensive it never had any money to pay kit Bellew, and by the same token it was unable to pay for any additions to the office staff this is what comes of being a good fellow kit grumbled one day thank god for good fellows then o'hara cried with tears in his eyes as he gripped kit's hand you're all that saved me kit but for you i'd have gone bust just a little longer old man and things will be easier never was kit's plaint i see my fate clearly i shall be here always a little later he thought he saw his way out watching his chance in o'hara's presence he fell over a chair a few minutes afterwards he bumped into the corner of the desk and with fumbling fingers capsized a paste-pot out late o'hara queried kit brushed his eyes with his hands and peered about him anxiously before replying no it's not that it's my eyes they seem to be going back on me that's all for several days he continued to fall over and bump into the office furniture but o'hara's heart was not softened i tell you what kid he said one day you've got to see an oculist there's dr hastaple he's a crackerjack and it won't cost you anything we can get it for advertising i'll see him myself and true to his word he dispatched kit to the oculist there's nothing the matter with your eyes was the doctor's verdict after a lengthy examination in fact your eyes are magnificent a pair in a million don't tell o'hara kit pleaded and give me a pair of black glasses the result of this was that o'hara sympathized and talked glowingly of the time when the billow would be on its feet luckily for kit bellew he had his own income small it was compared with some yet it was large enough to enable him to belong to several clubs and maintain a studio in the latin quarter in point of fact since his associate editorship his expenses had decreased prodigiously he had no time to spend money he never saw the studio any more nor entertained the local bohemians with his famous chafing-dish suppers yet he was always broke for the billow in perennial distress absorbed his cash as well as his brains there were the illustrators who periodically refused to illustrate the printers who periodically refused to print and the office-boy who frequently refused to officiate at such times o'hara looked at kit and kit did the rest when the steamship excelsior arrived from alaska bringing the news of the klondike strike that set the country mad kit made a purely frivolous proposition look here o'hara he said this gold rush is going to be big the days of forty-nine over again suppose i cover it for the below? i'll pay my own expenses o'hara shook his head can't spare you from the office kit then there's that serial besides i saw jackson not an hour ago he's starting for the klondike to-morrow and he's agreed to send a weekly letter and photos i wouldn't let him get away till he promised and the beauty of it is that it doesn't cost us anything the next kid hurt of the klondike was when he dropped into the club that afternoon and in an alcove off the library encountered his uncle Hello, avuncular relative kit greeted sliding into a leather chair and spreading out his legs won't you join me he ordered a cocktail but the uncle contented himself with the thin native claret he invariably drank he glanced with irritated disapproval at the cocktail and on to his nephew's face kit saw a lecture gathering i've only a minute he announced hastily i've got to run and take in that keith exhibition at ellery's and do half a column on it what's the matter with you the other demanded you're pale you're a wreck kit's only answer was a groan i'll have the pleasure of burying you i can see that kit shook his head sadly no destroying worm thank you cremation for mine john bellew came of the old hard and hardy stock that had crossed the plains by ox team in the fifties and in him was this same hardness and the hardness of a childhood spent in the conquering of a new land you're not living right christopher i'm ashamed of you primrose path eh kit chuckled the older man shrugged his shoulders shake not your gory locks at me avuncular i wish it were the primrose path but that's all cut out i have no time then what in overwork john bellew laughed harshly and incredulously honest again came the laughter men are the products of their environment kit proclaimed pointing at the other's glass your mirth is thin and bitter as your drink overwork was the sneer you never earned a cent in your life you bet i have only i never got it i'm earning five hundred a week right now and doing for men's work pictures that won't sell or er fancy work of some sort can you swim i used to sit a horse i have essayed that adventure john bellew snorted his disgust i'm glad your father didn't live to see you in all the glory of your gracelessness he said your father was a man every inch of him do you get it a man i think he'd have wailed all this musical and artistic tomfoolery out of you alas these degenerate days kit sighed i could understand it and tolerate it the other went on savagely if you succeeded at it you've never earned a cent in your life nor done a tap of man's work etchings and pictures and fans kit contributed unsoothingly you're a dabbler and a failure what pictures have you painted dinky watercolours and nightmare posters you've never had one exhibited even here in san francisco ah you forget there is one in the jinx room of this very club a gross cartoon music your dear fool of a mother spent hundreds on lessons you've dabbled and failed you've never even earned a five-dollar piece by accompanying someone at a concert your songs ragtime rot that's never printed and that's sung only by a pack of fake bohemians i had a book published once those sonnets you remember kit interposed meekly what did it cost you only a couple of hundred any other achievements i had a forest play acted at the summer jinx what did you get for it glory and you used to swim and you have essayed to sit a horse john bellew set his glass down with unnecessary violence what earthly good are you anyway you were well put up yet even at university you didn't play football you didn't row you didn't i boxed and fenced some when did you box last not since but i was considered an excellent judge of time and distance only i was er go on considered desultory lazy you mean i always imagined it was an euphemism my father sir your grandfather old isaac bellew killed a man with a blow of his fist when he was sixty-nine years old the man no your you graceless scamp but you'll never kill a mosquito at sixty-nine the times have changed oh my avuncular they send men to prison for homicide now your father rode one hundred and eighty-five miles without sleeping and killed three horses had he lived to-day he'd have snored over the course in a pullman the older man was on the verge of choking with wrath but swallowed it down and managed to articulate how old are you i've reason to believe i know twenty-seven you've finished college at twenty-two you've dabbled and played and frilled for five years before god and man of what use are you when i was your age i had one suit of underclothes i was riding with the cattle in coluso i was hard as rocks and i could sleep on a rock i lived on jerked beef and bear meat i'm a better man physically right now than you are you weigh about one hundred and sixty-five i can throw you right now or thrash you with my fists it doesn't take a physical prodigy to mop up cocktails or pink tea kit murmured deprecatingly don't you see my avuncular the times have changed besides i wasn't brought up right my dear fool of a mother John Bellew started angrily as you described her was too good to me kept me in cotton wool and all the rest now if when i was a youngster i had taken some of those intensely masculine vacations you go in for i wonder why you didn't invite me sometimes you took hal and robbie all over the sierras and on that mexico trip i guess you were too lord fauntleroyish your fault avuncular and my dearer mother's how was i to know the hard i was only a child. what was there left but etchings and pictures and fans was it my fault that i never had to sweat the older man looked at his nephew with unconcealed disgust he had no patience with levity from the lips of softness well i'm going to take another one of those what you call masculine vacations suppose i asked you to come along rather belated i must say where is it hal and robert are going in to klondike and i'm going to see them across the pass and down to the lakes then return he got no further for the young man had sprung forward and gripped his hand my preserver john bellew was immediately suspicious he had not dreamed the invitation would be accepted you don't mean it he said when do we start it will be a hard trip you will be in the way no i won't i'll work i've learned to work since i went on the billow each man has to take a year's supplies in with him there'll be such a jam the indian packers won't be able to handle it hal and robert will have to pack their outfits across themselves that's what i'm going along for to help them pack if you come you'll have to do the same watch me you can't pack was the objection when do we start to-morrow you needn't take it to yourself that your lecture on the hard has done it Kit said at parting, "I just had to get away somewhere, anywhere, from O'Hara. Who is O'Hara? A Jap? No, he's an Irishman and a slave driver and my best friend. He's the editor and proprietor and all-round big squeeze of the Billow. What he says goes. He can make ghosts walk." That night, Kit Blue wrote a note to O'Hara. "It's only a several weeks' vacation," he explained you'll have to get some gink to dope out installments for that cereal sorry old man but my health demands it i'll kick in twice as hard when i get back kipalu landed through the madness of the Daea beach congested with thousand-pound outfits of thousands of men this immense mass of luggage and food flung ashore in mountains by the steamers was beginning slowly to dribble up the Daea valley and across it was a portage of twenty-eight miles and could be accomplished only on the backs of men despite the fact that the indian packers had jumped the freight from eight cents a pound to forty they were swamped with the work and it was plain that winter would catch the major portion of the outfits on the wrong side of the divide tenderest of the tender feet was kit like many hundreds of others he carried a big revolver swung on a cartridge belt of this his uncle filled with memories of old lawless days was likewise guilty but kit bellew was romantic he was fascinated by the froth and sparkle of the gold rush and viewed its life and movement with an artist's eye he did not take it seriously as he said on the steamer it was not his funeral he was merely on a vacation and intended to peep over the top of the pass for a look-see and then to return leaving his party on the sand to wait for the putting ashore of the freight he strolled up the beach toward the old trading post he did not swagger though he noticed that many of the be revolvered individuals did a strapping six-foot indian passed him carrying an unusually large pack kit swung in behind admiring the splendid calves of the man and the grace and ease with which he moved along under his burden the indian dropped his pack on the scales in front of the post and kit joined the group of admiring gold rushers who surrounded him the pack weighed one hundred and twenty-five pounds which fact was uttered back and forth in tones of awe it was going some kit decided and he wondered if he could lift such a weight much less walk off with it going to lake linderman with it old man he asked the indian swelling with pride grunted an affirmative how much you make that one pack fifty dollar here kit slid out of the conversation a young woman standing in the doorway had caught his eye unlike other women landing from the steamer she was neither short-skirted nor bloomer clad she was dressed as any woman travelling anywhere would be dressed what struck him was the justness of her being there a feeling that somehow she belonged moreover she was young and pretty the bright beauty and colour of her oval face held him and he looked over long looked till she resented and her own eyes long lashed and dark met his in cool survey from his face they travelled in evident amusement down to the big revolver at his thigh then her eyes came back to his and in them was amused contempt it struck him like a blow she turned to the man beside her and indicated kit the man glanced him over with the same amused contempt Chekako, the girl said the man who looked like a tramp in his cheap overalls and dilapidated woolen jacket grinned dryly and kit felt withered though he knew not why but anyway she was an unusually pretty girl he decided as the two moved off he noted the way of her walk and recorded the judgment that he would recognize it over the lapse of a thousand years did you see that man with the girl kit's neighbor asked him excitedly know who he is kit shook his head Caribou charlie he was just pointed out to me he struck it big on klondike old-timer been on the yukon a dozen years he's just come out what's chekako mean kit asked you're one i'm one was the answer maybe i am but you've got to search me what does it mean tenderfoot on his way back to the beach kit turned the phrase over and over it rankled to be called tenderfoot by a slender chit of a woman going into a corner among the heaps of freight his mind still filled with the vision of the indian with the redoubtable pack kit essayed to learn his own strength he picked out a sack of flour which he knew weighed an even hundred pounds he stepped astride it reached down and strove to get it on his shoulder his first conclusion was that one hundred pounds were real heavy his next was that his back was weak his third was an oath and it occurred at the end of five futile minutes when he collapsed on top of the burden with which he was wrestling he mopped his forehead and across a heap of grub sacks, saw john bellew gazing at him wintry amusement in his eyes god proclaimed that apostle of the heart out of our loins has come a race of weaklings when i was sixteen i toyed with things like that you forget avuncular kit retorted that i wasn't raised on bear meat and i'll toy with it when i'm sixty you've got to show me john bellew did he was forty-eight but he bent over the sack applied a tentative shifting grip that balanced it and with a quick heave stood erect the somersaulted sack of flour on his shoulder knack my boy knack and a spine kit took off his hat reverently you're a wonder avuncular a shining wonder do you think i can learn the knack john bellew shrugged his shoulders you'll be hitting the back trail before we get started never you fear kit groaned there's o'hara the roaring lion down there i'm not going back till i have to kit's first pack was a success up to finnegan's crossing they had managed to get indians to carry the twenty five hundred pound outfit from that point their own backs must do the work they planned to move forward at the rate of a mile a day it looked easy on paper since john bellew was to stay in camp and do the cooking he would be unable to make more than an occasional pack so to each of the three young men fell the task of carrying eight hundred pounds one mile each day if they made fifty-pound packs it meant a daily walk of sixteen miles loaded and of fifteen miles light because we don't back trip the last time kit explained the pleasant discovery eighty pound packs meant nineteen miles travel each day and hundred pound packs meant only fifteen miles i don't like walking said kit therefore i shall carry one hundred pounds he caught the grin of incredulity on his uncle's face and added hastily of course i shall work up to it a fellow's got to learn the ropes and tricks i'll start with fifty he did and ambled gaily along the trail he dropped the sack at the next camp-site and ambled back it was easier than he had thought but two miles had rubbed off the velvet of his strength and exposed the underlying softness his second pack was sixty-five pounds it was more difficult and he no longer ambled several times following the custom of all packers he sat down on the ground resting the pack behind him on a rock or stump with the third pack he became bold he fastened the straps to a ninety-five pound sack of beans and started at the end of a hundred yards he felt that he must collapse he sat down and mopped his face chapter one part one